Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, Christ Church at Grove Farm. It is awesome to be with you today. I'm so excited to share with you my wife, Lisa, and I are here waving the flag of the Geargo family. I got some pictures of our family to show you. You'll see them on the screens there. You'll see in the middle, little girl in the pink pants is my daughter, Lainey. She's our youngest one. The tallest one, I think the pictures are coming, right? They're behind me. Ah, okay. It's a new platform. Give me, give me a break, right? So tallest one is Lucy. I'm sorry, tallest one is Lucy. She's the middle daughter. And then the one who's on my arm there, that is Molly, our oldest daughter. They're at home in Memphis, but they're planning to be here next week. We'll be excited to be with you. Uh, Memphis has been our home for the past 12 years. And that's been a, a really great adventure for us. We've enjoyed Memphis. We've made so many memories there in community. We love it. The biggest part of that has been our church. We love our church, and our church has so many strengths. There's so many great things I could tell you about our church, but a lot like Christ Church, one of the greatest things about our church is our worship team. We just have an awesome worship team. They write their own songs. They've written several songs, put out albums. Uh, They do a great job, and, and they really lead us to the throne of God together, which is always an awesome thing. One of the songs they've written, which is really caught on in the congregation, is a song that has a refrain that says, no matter what the storm, our anchor holds. No matter what the storm, our anchor holds. That's a really popular mantra. It's become really an anthem of sorts at High Point Church. And even as I tell you about it, in my mind, I can, I can see images of faces and people that I know and storms that they have faced. For instance, I think of a married couple who is struggling to hold on to their marriage, struggling to survive. I think of a young man I know who is struggling with addiction. I think of a a couple who is facing and struggling with infertility. It's like a cloud over their family's head. I, I think about a young woman who is wrestling and struggling with mental health. And then I I think of a family who is facing the, the cancer diagnosis of a loved one. They're in the midst of that struggle. These are all examples of storms, and I could tell you about a bunch more. But no matter what the storm, our anchor holds. That's what we sing. That's what we believe. You know, when I was a little bit younger, I, I used to think that only some people were facing storms. That, that the people who were facing storms were actually the minority. Well, as I've matured and as I've grown and been in the life of the church, I know this is true. Most people, most people are facing a storm. Amen? In fact, many of you who've walked through the doors of this building and came into this place today are in the midst of a storm. 
And look, these, these storms, sometimes they're very personal. There, there are storm clouds swirling in your head. There, there are torments of wind blowing through your life. You feel it. It's very personal to you. It's something that's centered really in your work, in your finances, in your relationships, in your family. It's there. There are other kinds of storms that are, that are storms of other people. But those storms have an effect on you. It could be your best friend's storm. It could be your son or daughter's storm that they're going through. It might be a storm with your spouse, but there's some kind of storm that you're facing as you walk into this place today. And, and then there are some within that group who have a storm who are wondering, does the anchor hold? I'm in the midst of a storm. Is it true that the anchor holds? Can God be trusted in the midst of my storm? I know those doubts creep into your mind. You are not the first people to ask that question if you're asking that question. And it's a good question. In fact, the gospel writer Matthew addresses this question in Matthew 14. And that's where we are today. Thank you, Doug, for reading the scripture for us. That's where we are today, Matthew 14. We're going to look at this. And here's what I want you to keep in mind as we look at Matthew 14, the disciples, this experience they had with I want you to know this, the experience of the disciples in this storm can be an encouragement to us when we go through the storms of life. And inevitably and invariably, we will all go through storms. And so here we go. We're going to turn to it. And as we look at the text, I'm going to draw out five assurances, five assurances that you can take with you, that we can take with us as we face the storms of life. Are you with me? All right, here we go. Turn to Matthew 14. If you have your Bible with you, you could turn to Matthew 14. We'll begin verse 22. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screens. Before I start, I just want to point this out. You know, you don't hear the word storm necessarily in this passage, but but be sure that it's there. And here's where you can find it. It talks about the disciples on the water and that their boat was buffeted. That's the word that's used. Their boat was buffeted by the winds and waves. If you look at the original Greek, here's what that means. They were being battered, tortured by the winds. This was an incredibly strong storm that these disciples were facing. And we pick up right here about it in verse 22 of Matthew 14. Let's dive in. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. The the first thing that, that pops out to me here is this, is that Jesus made the disciples. Did you catch that? He made the disciples get on the boat. Now, this is really important as we begin walking through this text. It's an important statement. Maybe you write this one down in your notes. The storm came because they were in the will of God. That's really important for us to process and to meditate on. You know, we tend to think that storms come only when we're outside the will of God. Well, listen, storms come, and they came in this case, because the disciples were in the will of of God. He sent them into this storm. This begs some theological questions. Here's the first theological question. Did Jesus know that the storm was coming? I mean, if he sent them into this, did did he know the storm was coming? 
And, and here's the answer. The answer is, is that Jesus is omniscient. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And Jesus is omniscient. He sees everything. There's nothing outside of his view. So did he know the storm was coming? Absolutely. Jesus is omniscient. Well, here's the second question that's, that's begged by this. Did Jesus deliberately direct them into this storm? I mean, how could he? This is a question that we wonder about when we have storms in our life. Is, is, this, is this God's doing? What's happening here? Well, here's the theological answer for us. Jesus is sovereign. He's sovereign. There's nothing that takes place outside of his reign and rule. He's the king. And so we have to somehow wrap our heads around the fact that yes, even, even Jesus deliberately directed the disciples into this storm. This is where theology gets really practical, doesn't it? Now, listen, for us, there are two kinds of storms. There are storms of correction, and there are storms of perfection. Let's talk about storms of correction for a second. So storms of correction, these are times when God is disciplining us. This is when we have gone outside of his will. We've acted outside of his word. We've been disobedient to his ways and his principles. And there are storms of correction. An example of this would be, in the Old Testament, Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah, of course, literally got put into a storm. And he ended up in the, the belly of a great fish. Why? He was being corrected by God. This was a storm of correction. Well, there are also storms of perfection. These are the ways that God wants to refine us. He wants to sanctify us. God is doing a work in us to make us and conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Storms of perfection. Two kinds of storms. Now, many of us have this mistaken idea that whenever we are in Christ, that it's going to be smooth sailing, no storms. I used to believe that when I was a young Christian. That I would, just, I would face smooth sailing because I was in Christ. It's actually quite the opposite. And in the storm, we must remember this. That he brought us here and that he can care for us. So here's my, my storm assurance number one for you. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this one down. It's really simple. It's this. He brought me here. He brought me here. Are you facing a storm? Here's the good news for you. This can give us confidence. He brought me here. It's not an accident. So let's keep that in mind as we go through the text. Jesus has brought these disciples to this place. He's brought us into the storms of our life. And there's a purpose for them. Let's keep reading verse, 20, verse 24. After he had dismissed them, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, there it is again, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So you got this, this great image here. And it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside while this is happening. He sent the disciples out. He goes out to a mountainside to pray. And I believe this is a beautiful portrait of the church today across the world and the work of Jesus, the Lord today. 
You see, God's people, that's us, we're at sea. And we are in the midst of a storm. If you're walking in here today, and I know many of you are, and you're in a storm, this isn't an accident. This is common among people. We face storms. This is the picture of, of the church in the world today. We're at sea, and we're in the midst of a storm, but that's not the only part of the equation. There's a second part, and it's really important, and that's this. Jesus, pictured here on the mountainside, is in heaven, and he is making intercession for us. He's praying for us in the midst of our storms. He's interceding on our behalf to the Father. Check out Romans 8, verse 34. Listen to what this is. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What if I were to tell you, in the midst of your storm, that Jesus is in the next door praying for you? Would that give you confidence? Would that give you the courage that you need to face the storm of life that you're facing? Well, I got something better for you. Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf, praying for us. And here's the great truth because of that. Storm assurance number two, he is praying for me. He is praying for us. He's praying for us in the midst of our storm. And so we could take courage. We could face the storm with confidence because we know that Christ himself is interceding on our behalf before the Father. It's an incredible truth. Back to the text. Let's keep on going. So we've got two storm assurances. He brought me here. And then we, we, we said he is praying for me. Now let's look at verses 25 and 26. And let's see what, what the word tells us here. So, reading. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. I love this. Jesus went out to them. Did you catch that? Jesus went out to them. Here he is praying. He sees them. And, and by the way, notice that he waited until they were a considerable distance from the shore. I mean, this boat had gotten way out in the water. He waited until then. Isn't that curious? And of course, when they see Jesus coming to them in the water, they flip out. And they say, it's a ghost. Now, where's this coming from? Well, if you go back to the first century, there were a couple of beliefs that were widely held by people who lived in those times. One of the popular beliefs is that the, there were evil spirits that lived in the sea. You know how we have uh, the Loch Ness Monster and things like that? There were, there were beliefs then that there were evil spirits who dwelt in the sea. Knowing that, they believed that, that the ghosts of those who had drowned in the sea inhabited the sea. And so, of course, when they see a figure coming to them in the water, their first reaction is, while it's true, there are ghosts in the water. They're coming to get us right now. That was their reaction. Here's what Jesus did, though. I love this. Jesus showed the disciples that the thing that they feared the most, and these were fishermen. They were well acquainted with the sea. They knew these stories about, about spirits inhabiting the sea and the ghosts of people who drowned. The thing they may have feared the most, the mystery of the murky waters, Jesus says, that's nothing but a staircase for me to come to you. Amen? 
that's what he does. And so he comes to them. You know, we often feel like God has deserted us. We feel like God has deserted us when we're in the midst of a storm. I'm sure you felt the way, is God, does God hear me? Does God see me? Does God, does God care about what's happening in my life? What we have here is a reminder in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. This is the promise from God. Listen to the Old Testament prophet. Just a few sentences from this verse. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. We may not like God's timing. We may not appreciate his time. We may wonder when, when he's going to come. And he may not come at the time that we think he should come. But listen, he knows when we need him the most. And so our storm assurance number three is this. He will come to me. He will come to me. I, I just met a, a member of Christ Church at Grove Farm just yesterday. And, and she was telling a story about a time when her house caught on fire. Terrible thing. What a storm, right? Your house catches on fire. She gets a call from a neighbor telling her that there's, there's several fire trucks in, in front of her house. She might want to come home. And so she gets in her car and she speeds to her house and she gets out and she watches her house burn. She was assured that her loved ones, her pets were out of the home. But, she, but she's standing there and she told me, she said she had this mysterious peace that just washed over her. And she knew that there was incredible challenges ahead, but she had this peace as she stood there and she couldn't explain it. Well, let me tell you, it can be explained. That peace is Jesus coming to her right when she needed it. And he would do the same for you and me. If you're facing a challenge, Jesus will come to you. He will come to you. So that's our storm assurance number three. If you're in the storm, be assured, rest assured, you can wait on him and at just the right time, he will come to you. Let's keep going in the text. Jump back in. We're looking here now at verses uh, 27 through 31. This is a really famous part of this passage. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you in the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down on the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? You know, much ado has been made about Peter in this passage. Many of us, when we read this on our own quiet time, we're drawn to Peter. In fact, when it's preached often, we talk about Peter and his faith and his lack of faith. And listen, Peter is to be commended. He got out of the boat. There were other disciples who stayed in the boat. Peter had the faith to get out. But I want to make this suggestion. This story is not about Peter. Peter's not the hero of the story in this. I mean, think about this. The Gospel of Matthew. By the way, Matthew was the second gospel written. And around 80 AD, Mark was the first that was written. And Matthew had a primary audience. His audience was the Jewish people. And you know what Matthew's purpose was in writing this gospel to the Jewish people? His purpose 
was to reveal who Jesus was to them. And this passage reveals Christ in a powerful way, doesn't it? Do you see the purpose of this? The purpose in this passage is to exemplify and magnify Jesus as our Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. He's the one who saves Peter. Do you see it? That's the point of this passage. Now, Peter, well, what do we see about him? Well, Peter, his faith wavered. His faith wavered. You know, Jesus says to him, why did you doubt? If you look up that word doubt and study it, the word doubt translated means standing uncertainly in two, two ways. Standing uncertainly in two ways. That makes me think of James chapter 1. This might be familiar to you. James 1. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea. It's almost as if James was thinking of Peter. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea tossed by the wind. Peter's being tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Peter was certainly unstable, wasn't he? He was drowning. And why? He was double-minded. He was standing uncertainly in two ways. I wonder about this with us. Does your faith waver in the storm? I mean, be honest with yourself. Examine yourself. If you are, you're human. This is what humans do. Peter is very human. This is a human moment. We're not, throwing, we're not throwing stones at Peter. It's a human thing for our faith to waver. Do you feel like you're drowning in the midst of a storm? Do you feel like it's overwhelming? As you think about your children, as you think about your grandchildren, as you think about what's happening in your marriage, as you think about what's happening in your workplace or your community, do you feel sometimes like you're drowning? Listen, listen, the point of this passage is this. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Savior. The anchor holds. What does Jesus do? He reaches down and he extends his arm, his mighty arm, and he says, I've got you, Peter. Jesus reaches out that hand, stretches it out. Just when Peter thinks he's not going to be able to stand the storm, he's going to drown, and he's there, he reaches out. Isn't it incredible? And so, our, our, our storm assurance, number four, is this. He will see me through. He will see me through. You're facing a storm right now? I want to remind you that God is present, that Jesus sees you, and that he will see you through through the power of his spirit. It's true. You can hang on to that. You can write that down. You can remind yourself of that. You'll make it through the storm. He will see you through. Turn to him. Wrapping up this passage, an incredible thing happens after all this. It says that when they climbed out into the boat, by the way, they would be Jesus and Peter. It says they climbed in the boat. In my imagination, I don't see Jesus and Peter swimming back to the boat. You know what they did, I believe? They walked back to the boat together. Isn't that powerful? Jesus, with his arm around Peter, walked him back to the boat. And they got in, and what was said? The winds died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, truly, you are the Son of God. This is the first time in Matthew's Gospel 
that this declaration is made. The very first time, the disciples, like light bulbs went off. They saw it clearly. They knew who he was. You know what happened through this experience in the storm in the boat? The storm that, that Jesus sent them into. Do you know what they realized? They knew who he was. They saw him clearly. They trusted in him. Their faith was enlarged through this experience, through this storm. That's what storms do. So let me tell you what I believe, according to Scripture, is the purpose of your storm. The purpose of your storm is this, to grow, to know Him, and to trust Him more. It's the purpose of your storm. To grow, to know Him, and trust Him more. And I know, When you're in a storm, it feels like it can go on forever. It seems like it's never-ending. I've been there. When you're in a storm, it seems like it's going to be too much to bear. You're not sure if you can make it. The storms of life certainly are not easy. No one's saying they're easy, but they're necessary. Encourage yourself with this truth. Because the bottom line is this, and I know many of you can attest to this, because you've been through storms. I see it in your faces. You know this is true. Storm assurance number five, he will help me grow. He will help me grow through the storm. I want to tell you a story. So my wife and I were in a small group early on when we moved to Memphis through our church. And um, we, we were gathering together on a Saturday afternoon, early fall. It was still warm enough to swim there, which was great. They had a nice pool. Um, people were gathered, hanging out, a football game on TV. I had me a big old plate of Memphis barbecue. Heaven! It was so good. Pout high. I like that stuff. And I was sitting there hanging out, watching the game, talking, eating my barbecue. The kids were outside. And I happened to catch, in the corner of my eye, my little girl, Molly, our oldest daughter, three years old at the time, just a little one. And she was standing by the pool, and she was backing up. And she took that last step, and she fell into the pool. Well, let me tell you, that plate of barbecue got thrown down. And I moved so, I was kind of proud of myself. I moved so fast, if I would have been at the NFL Combine, I would have set a record for the shuttle run that day. I was so fast. My wife couldn't believe she'd never seen me move that fast. She wishes I would move that fast more often. Why? Because my little girl was in peril. I saw her, and I cared for her, and I was there. Listen, if an earthly father, who is certainly broken and and very much human, will do this kind of thing for their child, how much more so our heavenly father? This, this This is a picture, perhaps, of who God is. This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ, he's the one. He's the one who has brought us here. Think about your storms. He brought you here. It's not an accident. That should give you peace and and confidence. Jesus Christ, he is praying for you. He sees you. He's interceding on your behalf from heaven. Jesus Christ, he will come to you. When? In his timing. In his timing. Jesus, he will see you through. 
He extends his arm to you. He brings out his hand and says, I'm here. I've got you. And not only that, he will help you to grow. He wants you to know him and love him more and more. Listen, all of this, this whole passage, everything we're talking about here points to the greatest assurance. Let me tell you what the greatest assurance is. And we see it in this passage. It's this. Jesus endured the storm for us. Storm, your life feels like it's weighed down. You're burdened with sin. Listen, Jesus Christ has endured the storm for us. He went through the storm of the cross. Jesus Christ, he went through the wrath. He experienced the wrath of God until it was satisfied. He endured the storm. How do we respond to that? Well, it's very simple. There's this really profound, simple prayer that Peter exclaims in the text. Did you catch it? What does Peter say when he is in peril? He says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. That's the prayer that you and I have the opportunity to even right now in this moment respond to God with. In light of who he is, in light of these assurances we have in Christ, we can turn to him in prayer. And so even now, I want to give the opportunity to turn to God in prayer. And if you're in the midst of a storm, to call out to him, to cry out to him and say simply in faith, Lord, save me. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, we thank you for Jesus, who is the Savior, who is the Messiah, who is the King. God, we see it reflected in this passage, and we're blown away thinking that Jesus intercedes in our behalf, that he's sovereign, that he, 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 he comes to us and gives us hope and gives us peace. We're overwhelmed, Lord, thinking that Jesus will see us through. What a, what a comfort that is. And that even through our storms, God, we can grow to know you and love you and trust you more. God, as we as a church are gathered here, these friends of mine, we certainly, God, want to turn to you right now. And Lord, I know that there are people who are going through a storm. And if they're not going through a storm, they know someone who is going through a storm. Lord, we want to turn to you and pray. And simply say, Lord, save us. Lord, save me. Lord, save my daughter. Lord, save my son. Lord, save me. You could turn to God even now in your heart, in your mind. You could pray that simple, profound prayer right in this pew, in this room, in this moment. And then, Lord, there are people in this room who perhaps have never, in the greatest sense, turned to you and acknowledged their need for a Savior. Perhaps you feel like you're drowning in life and you felt that way for a long time. Perhaps you've never recognized Jesus as Savior. Maybe you thought of him as a ghost. He's real. And he wants to meet with you in this moment. 
Jesus reaches out his hand to you, will you in turn reach out to him and say, Lord, save me. If you want to believe in Jesus, say, let me make it very simple for you right there in your pew. Say to God, Lord, save me. He hears that prayer of faith. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. Thank you that you do hear us. What a Savior. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in the powerful, matchless name of the one who can walk on water, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And God's people said, amen.